Welcome to the Terry Podcast, Tales from Near and Far, read to you by Pratham Data. A Child's History of England by Charles Dickens, read to you by Pratham Data. Chapter 12, England under Henry II, Part the Second. What had happened is as follows. Henry II, the first of the Plantagenet kings, now taken the throne, 1154 or so, and his best friends, a very ostentatious guy called Thomas A. Beckett, who was a chancellor, the Archbishop of Canterbury, in round about 1162. Now, Thomas A. Beckett, who was Henry II's best friend, took the position very seriously. So seriously, actually, that he ended up becoming Henry II's biggest foe, fighting with him about everything related to the issues of church and state. Henry II's primary objective was to take back all the lands from the archbishopric and even charge the clergy with crimes that common people be charged. Now, Thomas A. Beckett took that as a grave insult against the church. And he basically started excommunicating just about every religious or secular official who sided on behalf of the king. He had to flee, of course, Thomas A. Beckett, and under Frederick I, the Holy Roman Emperor, who was also the Pope, he decided that he would lay an interdict on England. An interdict is when the church prohibits any kind of religious ceremonies or rituals, such as marriages, baptisms, on an entire country. So that idea was mainly meant to bring Henry II back to the negotiation table. But Henry II did not care for it. Exasperated, Henry II basically complains that why couldn't somebody get rid of this meddlesome priest? Now, he did that purely out of exasperation, but four knights under Fitzers took Henry II's words a bit too seriously. So what they did was, in one December night in 1170, these knights secretly went to Canterbury to arrest Thomas A. Beckett. But in what ensued, on 29th of December 1170, the knights hacked Thomas A. Beckett to death. Suddenly, Henry II's best friend and compatriot, who was meant to align the church and the state together, rose up against his own friend, showed that the position sometimes becomes more powerful than friendship itself. It was quite a tragedy. And the next part tells you what happened afterwards. Part the second. 
When the king heard how Thomas A. Beckett had lost his life in Canterbury Cathedral, through the ferocity of the four knights, he was filled with dismay. Some have supposed that when the king spoke these hasty words, have I no one here who will deliver me from this man? He wished and meant a Beckett to be slain. But few things are more unlikely, for besides that the king was not naturally cruel, though very passionate, he was wise, and must have known full well that any stupid man in his dominions must have known, namely, that such a murder would rouse the Pope and the whole church against him. He sent respectful messengers to the Pope to represent his innocence, except in having uttered the hasty words, and he swore solemnly and publicly to his innocence, and contrived in time to make his peace. As to the four guilty knights, who fled into Yorkshire, and never again dared to show themselves at court, the Pope excommunicated them, and they lived miserably for some time, shunned by all their countrymen. At last, they went humbly to Jerusalem as a penance, and there died and were buried. It happened fortunately for the pacifying of the Pope that an opportunity arose very soon after the murder of a Becket for the King to declare his power in Ireland, which was an acceptable undertaking to the Pope, as the Irish, who had been converted to Christianity by one Patricius, otherwise St. Patrick, long ago, for any Pope existed, considered that the Pope had nothing at all to do with them, or they were the Pope, and accordingly refused to pay him Peter's pens, or the tax of a penny a house, which I have elsewhere mentioned. The King's opportunity arose in that way. The Irish were, at that time, a Barbarous people, as you can well imagine. They were constantly quarrelling and fighting, cutting one another's throats, slicing one another's noses, burning one another's houses, carrying away one another's wives, and committing all sorts of violence. The country was divided into five kingdoms Desmond, Tormund, Connaught, Ulster, and Leinster each governed by a separate king, of whom one claimed to be the chief of the rest. Now, one of these kings, named Dermond MacMurrow, wild kind of name, spelt in more than a wild kind of way, had carried off the wife of a friend of his and concealed her on an island in a bog. The friend resenting this it was quite the custom of the country, complained to the chief king and, with the chief king's help, drove Dermond MacMurrow out of his dominions. Dermond came over to England for revenge and offered to hold his realm as a vassal of King Henry, if King Henry would help him regain it. The king consented to these terms and only assisted him then with what were called letters patent authorising any English subject who was so disposed to enter into his service and aid his cause. There was at Bristol 
a certain old Richard de Clare called Strongbow, of no very good character, needy and desperate, and ready for anything that offered him a chance of improving his fortunes. There were in South Wales two other broken knights of the same good-for-nothing sort, called Robert Fitzstephen and Maurice Fitzgerald. These three, each with a small band of followers, took up Derman's cause, and it was agreed that if it proved successful, Strongbow should marry Derman's daughter Eva and be declared his heir. The trained English followers of these knights were so superior in all the discipline of battle to the Irish that they beat them against immense superiority of numbers. In one fight, early in the war, they cut off 300 heads and laid them before MacMurrow, who turned them every one up with his hands, rejoicing, and coming to one which was the head of a man whom he had much disliked, grasped it by the hair and ears, and tore off the nose and lips with his teeth. You may judge from this what kind of a gentleman an Irish king in those times was. The captives all through this war were horribly treated, the victorious party making nothing of breaking their limbs and casting them into the sea from the tops of high rocks. It was in the midst of the miseries and cruelties attendant on the taking of Waterford, where the dead lay piled in the streets and the filthy gutters ran with blood, that Strongbow married ever. An odious marriage company those mounds of corpses must have made, I think, and one quite worthy of the young lady's father. He died after Waterford and Dublin had been taken, and various successes achieved, and Strongbow became King of Leinster. Now came King Henry's opportunity. To restrain the growing power of Strongbow, he himself repaired to Dublin as Strongbow's royal master and deprived him of his kingdom, but confirmed him in the enjoyment of great possessions. The king then, holding state in Dublin, received the homage of nearly all the Irish kings and chiefs and so came home again with a great addition to his reputation as Lord of Ireland with a new claim on the favour of the Pope. And now, their reconciliation was completed more easily and mildly by the Pope than the king might have expected, I think. At this period of his reign, when his troubles seemed so few and his prospects so bright, those domestic miseries began, which gradually made the king the most unhappy of men, reduced his great spirit, wore away his health, and broke his heart. He had four sons, Henry, now aged 18, his secret crowning of whom had given such offence to Thomas A. Beckett, Richard, aged 16, Geoffrey, 15, and John, his favourite, a young boy whom the courtiers named Lacklands because he had no inheritance but to whom the king meant to give the lordship of Ireland. 
All these misguided boys, in their turn, were unnatural sons to him and unnatural brothers to each other. Prince Henry, stimulated by the French king and by his bad mother, Queen Eleanor, began the undutiful history. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, please comment and please like it and subscribe. Please do let me know if there are certain tales from whichever part of the world you might be in that you would like me to read. Thank you.